focusing on the fact that giving is all about trusting God. And uh, hopefully in these last few weeks you've been able to grow uh, in your spiritual understanding and your spiritual walk with Christ. And really in this area that is such a vital area of the Christian life, this area of giving. And I hope that this series has been a help and a blessing to you. So, uh, Proverbs chapter number 3, and uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10, 1 through 10, and then uh, jumping right into uh, the message this morning. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through verse number 10. It says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes, fear the Lord, and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel, and morrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the firstfruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you because, Father, we have learned and grown through this last few weeks through this series that we, we can trust you. Truly, you are trustworthy. Father, we have been challenged to ourselves be trustworthy as well. And now, Father, as we conclude this series, I pray that you would speak to every heart, that we might be able to not only leave this morning with a greater understanding of what it means to give, of what it means to trust in you, but, Father, with a, a principle and a truth that we can live out day to day, so that we might see you more clearly in our life, that we might have more of your power in our life, and that we can make a greater impact in the lives of others. So, Father, as we study your word this morning, I pray that you'd be with me, fill me with your spirit, help me to communicate the message clearly, and then, Father, be with every heart that is receptive this morning. May your spirit take control of this service, and may your, by your spirit, may we grow and may we, uh, Father, live out the truths of your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we said that trust changes everything. It changes everything in our relationships. It changes our attitudes. It changes our decisions. It even changes our actions. The moment there is trust in any relationship, everything in that relationship will change. It just changes everything. Now, this is true in our relationships with one another, but this is also true in our relationship with God. It's easy sometimes to understand that when we're dealing with someone else, when we're giving our trust to someone, whether it's a husband to his wife or wife to husband, or whether it's a close friend uh, giving that trust to another close friend, we know that that trust changes everything in that relationship. And, and many of us, are old enough to have experienced that in our lives. But you know, the very same truth is applicable to our relationship with God. Uh, if you have trust in God, it'll change your relationship with God. 
It'll change your walk with him. It'll change everything about uh, your view of him and his view of you. It, it just changes everything. And we said that giving to God is really all about not resources that we have. It's really all about trust with the resources that we have. It's not about how much money we have. It's what we do with the money that we have. Giving is all about trusting God in following what he has commanded us to do, instructed us to do, and really empowered us to do. So this morning, we want to finish that last week's message on the trust test and see how we are doing. We, we talked about using the word trust as a, uh, a, a, a way in which we can uh, really give ourselves five different areas to test in and see how we do in our trust test with God. Now, before we go into that, I do, uh, I do want to share something that I, uh, that I ran into this week, and I thought it was really remarkable. It's just like a, a four-minute video, and I think we were able to, uh, uh, to pull it up. But it was something I came across, and I said, wow, this is exactly what we're talking about in this series. So I want you to watch the video, and then we'll jump in, and, and I think you'll figure out how it applies to what we've been talking about.
Wow, isn't that incredible? Had anybody ever heard of that before? I had never heard of that before until I saw this video this week. That is incredible. The amount of trust that you have to have about the person talking to you, going down a mountain 70 miles an hour, and believing that they're going to tell you everything you need to know and guide you all the way down safely. Now, I think you can see the connection on how that is in our life, in our relationship with God. It was amazing to hear them talk, huh? And it's like the, the, each one of them, though they were all different, they, they shared how intimate that relationship is, how personal that relationship is. And, and uh, it was interesting how, how the uh, wife of that one team said, man, I had other, other ones. I just didn't have the trust that they were going to tell me everything I needed to know. So I had my husband there with me. That helps uh, a lot better. And then the other one was saying, uh, the other team uh, of the two girls, she was saying, I, I know sometimes when my guide says something, if she doesn't say it exactly uh, right, I know what she means. And that's because they go over and over and over going down these mountains and practicing and having that relationship. Do you know, in our relationship with God, it's the very same thing. Do you know that our area, this area of giving, our giving to God is exactly like that? We can't always see what's going down the mountain. We don't always see what's coming, but we always have God there with us that can guide us. You know, and he might not, God doesn't always say left, right, up, down. Sometimes God will say, you know, I, I think you should give to this missionary. God might say, there's a building project at church. I want you to give to it. And now suddenly you're like that skier that's blind behind going, am I going to trust God from what he's saying? Man, this or the trust test is something so important in our Christian life. It really is. Now, last week we talked about really the first three truths about it. We said that if we're going to uh, take the trust test, we're going to know that, uh, first of all, we have to take an inventory. Ask God to search us, search our hearts, and, and see if our motivations, if our really our heart and love for God is right. We said, secondly, that we must recognize God as our source. If we're going to tr uh, pass the trust test, we got to know that God is the one that is the source of everything in our life. He is the source of not only the health that we have, but of the money that we have and giving him enough of the trust to say, God, you've provided this money and this is why I give it to you. You're the owner. I'm just the manager. And then we said that the third test that we take or the third really uh, trial that we go through is understanding God's principles, understanding God's principles. And we, we talked about five of them last week, and I, I want to just remind you, they should be in your notes, but the five principles that we talked about last week was who's in charge principle. God's the owner. We're just managers. Number two, the give and grow principle. We said that giving actually enable, uh, enables us or helps us to grow in our spiritual life. Number three, the do it now principle. We said now is the time to start giving, not waiting till we have all this money to start giving. No, uh, it, we need to be faithful now with what we have, the do it now principle. Number four, we said the I'm in debt principle. And that was really teaching us that from the moment that we're born, we are in debt. We're in debt to God because of his goodness, but we're in debt to others to do what God has commanded us to do. We have a great responsibility to others. And we said even Paul himself had to come to a, a point in his life where that's what he uh, saw in his life. 
He saw, I'm a, I'm a debt to uh, uh, my people, the, the Jews, but I'm in, in debt to the Gentiles as well. I'm in debt to the Romans, uh, and I'm in debt to the barbarians. I'm in debt to the whole world. Why? Because of what God has given me. And so the I'm in debt principle teaches us that we are in debt. We, we need to give. We, we need to give what God has given us. And then uh, the fifth one we talked about was the fountain of youth principle. We said that uh, what we have cannot go on, but what we give can. All right. And so it's so important for us to remember those five principles. And I want to build on that this morning and just give you quickly five more principles on it. Number one, I want to give you the who's number one principle. The who's number one principle. If you look in Matthew chapter 22, uh, I think it's there in your notes, 22, 36 to 38, it says, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Jesus, upon being asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you just got to love God with all your heart, soul, and might. That's the greatest commandment. That's the commandment that ought to be the priority of your life. You see, the whose number one principle teaches this. God deserves the very first of everything. God deserves the very first of everything. The who's in charge principle says that God is the owner of everything. But this principle is a little bit different in the fact that it teaches that he is the priority. Sometimes we can accept that, oh, yes, God has given me everything I have. And, and we, we hear that all the time. If, if, you, if you even watch uh, any kind of uh, television uh, award show, you, you always find these people to come up to the podium. Oh, I just want to thank God. Thank God for, for this. And, and they all say that you go on social media and everyone wants to say, oh, I want to thank God for this. But God is not the priority in their life. They can admit, yes, God is the owner of everything that I have and God has blessed me. But they don't live a life that shows that God is the priority in their life. This of who's number one teaches us this principle that God deserves the first of everything. If you go back to Proverbs chapter 3, you'll notice there in verse number 9, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The first fruit. Here the author of Proverbs is teaching us, hey, it's the first of what you get that you give to God. We're not to give God the leftovers. You don't say, well, let me spend my check and whatever I have left over, God, I'll give to you. God says, I need to be the priority in your life. So the principle that God teaches here in Matthew chapter 22 is this, that God deserves the first of everything. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 2, you might wonder, why do we come to church on Sundays and why do we give offerings on, on Sunday, every Sunday? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 2, it says on the first day of the week, we should bring our offerings to God. That's why we give on Sundays. That's why we take time every service, every service. If you've been coming to this church long enough, you'll know every service we take time uh, to pick up the offering, to receive the offerings. You say, why? Because it's the first fruits. It's the first day of the week that we give to God and the first fruits of our increase that we give. That's what the who's number one principle teaches us. Then I want to give you another principle, the cheerful attitude principle. And this one is so important when it comes to giving. <laughs> because sometimes we can understand the 
who's number one principle and say, well, God's uh, the priority, and then we, we just have to give to him. And sometimes we give with that kind of attitude, like, okay, fine. Almost like we do uh, when we pay taxes. I don't know how many of you guys have that kind of attitude, like, why am I giving this money to the government? Why? We kind of give it because we don't want to get in jail, so we give to, to avoid prison or to avoid troubles. But you know, God doesn't want us giving to him like we do to the government, like when we give our taxes. God doesn't look for that kind of attitude. He's not saying, well, if you don't do this, then you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in spiritual prison if you do. No, God doesn't want that. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I think it's in your notes, verse number 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth, listen to that, a cheerful giver. God said, I don't want you giving to me angrily or bitter. And then I don't want you giving to me because you think if I don't give to him, God's going to strike me down. That's what he means by out of necessity. He's not saying, well, you know, I, I have to give because if not, I, I, you know, God will not bless me. You might give that way and God won't bless you at all either. Because God says, that's not what I look for. That's not what I like. What I look for and what I love is a cheerful giver. So let me give you under that of the cheerful principle just a quick thought. Stewardship begins with loving, not giving. Stewardship begins with loving, not giving. You see, God does not need our money. He doesn't. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says that the whole world and this whole universe belongs to God. He created it. He made it. He doesn't need our money. But you know why God asks us to give our money? Because he says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's just a trust, a test for our trust. God knows that what we do with our money really indicates where our heart is. God knows that if we are giving our money to something, our heart will be there. That's why you can go to a Houston Rockets game and people are cheering outside of their minds. You know, James Harden you know, makes 50 points and people are going crazy like, yeah, it's my team. Yeah, go Rockets. The whole crowd will be like, you know, start cheering defense, defense. Or uh, 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 James Harden will get the ball and they'll start going MVP. MVP. And they're excited. Nobody's there. Uh, you, you rarely see anybody on TV like this. Oh, yeah, James Harden's got the ball. Yeah, that's good. You don't. Why? Why do not people not have their arms folded and are just angry about being there? You find because many of them paid quite a bit of money to be there. And it's amazing. Nobody had to steal from their wallet to get that ticket and pay that money. I mean, they'll get on their phone and right away, Ooh, what is it for that? Oh, yes, okay, I'm going to... No problem, no problem. Whatever it costs, whatever it costs, I got to be at that game. Why? Where your heart is, or where your money is, that's where your heart's at. You can tell 
People are passionate about being there. That's why it's so interesting when we take this trust test to ask ourselves, are we that passionate when we come to church and give to God? I'm not saying we got to sit here and say MVP, MVP when we're putting our offering in there. I'm not saying that. But how excited are you to give? I mean, does it excite you at all that you get to give to God? Does it excite you at all? I mean, do you get the same feeling that you get when you, you know, buy flowers for your wife? Because it's an act of love. You know, this thing of giving, it all starts with love. It starts with love. Then I want you to notice another principle this morning. And by the way, Amy Carmichael, there in your notes, she said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That's so true. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Let me give you another principle, the big shovel principle. Maybe you've heard of this principle, the big shovel principle. And it simply says this, that we cannot outgive God. You can't outgive him. Luke 6, 38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again you see as we give to god he is always faithful to give back to us but here's the key he always gives back in a bigger supply that's why it's called the big shovel principle someone had illustrated it this way they said man i i shovel all i can to give to god and god's over here and he's shoveling back at me the only thing is that god's shovel is twice as big as mine so the more that I give God, the more that he gives me, but I can never outgive him because my shovel's just way smaller than God's. It's called the big shovel principle. We cannot give God. In fact, if you give generously, uh, generously, if you invest generously, guess what? You reap generously. It's a farming principle. If you plant more seed, guess what? You're going to reap more in your harvest. That's just the way it works. Paul told the Corinthians, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you're not going to give a lot to God, then don't expect a whole lot back. He said, but if you can learn to give generously, then God will give generously back to you. It's amazing when you look at Luke 6.38. Look, here's the key. He says, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He's saying, listen, look how compact, how much I'm giving back to you. And then he says, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, there is a connection with how much you give to how much you get. There is a connection. God makes the connection there. He said, if you... If you invest, if you sow very little, you'll reap very little. But if you can learn to give generously, you'll never outgive God. Never outgive Him. Let me give you another principle the river principle. 
This is an amazing principle. Listen to this principle. It says, our life is to be like a river, not a reservoir. <laughs> you know what the difference is, right? A river is always flowing. You go to anywhere there's a river and there's always life growing around it. But you can go to a reservoir and you, you won't see trees, you won't see plants, you won't see anything. It's just like a big swimming pool that just stays there and does nothing. If you haven't seen one, you go down to the McAllen Airport, you'll see the reservoir that we have here for the valley. And all the water goes in there. The reason nothing can grow is because that water is just stagnant. It's not flowing through. In our life, the river principle, what God wants, teaches us that we need to be someone that is giving, not one that is just keeping. We, we don't not look at all that we can gather for ourselves in life. We ought to be looking, what else can I give? You see, someone that has a heart for God, one that's looking at themselves like a river and lovingly looking at God, they say, God, they ask themselves, God, what can I give? How much can I give? But the person that has the life philosophy as a reservoir, they, they say, how little do I have to give? What's the minimum? I mean, I'll give, but what's the minimum? And looking at life as, what can I get? I left this in your notes. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And I wonder what kind of life are we building? I mean, what are you giving towards? You know, this morning we're here in this place because those before us decided to live their life by saying, I'm going to be a river, not a reservoir. That's why these benches are here. You know, these benches were donated to us from another church that was upgrading in theirs, and men from our church decided to donate their time every night of the week. I don't remember how many weeks it was. It was quite a few weeks just to come and start putting these things together so that we can be sitting on them right now. But if most of the men would have said, hey, it's my, it's my Monday night, Pastor. It's my Tuesday night. Don't mess with my week. I give you my weekend, Pastor. I'll give you Sundays, but come on. God, if that's what, you know, I'm already giving you even Wednesday nights, God. Now I got to give you a Monday night and a Tuesday night? That's reservoir thinking. But because there was those that said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let my life just be flowing. I'm going to give where I can give. I'm going to be that river that, that just outflows to others with life. Now we're here. Talking to a, a man earlier uh, this year, and, and he was telling me how, uh, he's from our church, he's a member, and he was telling me how things have been going really well at, at his job, and so well, in fact, that they brought him into the office, the, the owner of the company, and, uh, and they said, man, this, this year has been just such a good year, because you've done such a good job, we're giving you a $5,000 bonus this year. Gave him a check. And he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I want to tell you, I felt that God gave me that for the building. So I'm putting that in the offering plate next week. Now that's river thinking, not reservoir thinking. 
That's why buildings like that can go up. Because there's people who say, that's what I'm going to give toward. My life's not going to be about what I can get. My life's going to be all about what I can give. That's the river principle. Now let me give you the last principle this morning, and that is who has whom principle. The who has whom principle. This is such an important principle. It says, until God has control of my life, I am out of control. Until God has control of my life, I'm out of control. You ever been there, by the way? (laughs) If you've been a Christian any length of time, you've been there. You've been in a place where you thought you were all about control and you found out that the way of you doing things and the way you figure it out just doesn't work out. That's why tithing is so difficult because i got to trust that God's going to provide for me. i gotta, I got to trust that my needs are going to be met. But so many people say, nah, that, that's not going to work for me. So instead of going to that and trusting God, they say, I'm going to figure this out. They start doing their budget and, oh, well, this is all I can get. And instead of giving their first fruits, they give the leftovers. And somehow they start finding that there's never enough at the end. But then they come to a point where they begin to trust. And when they begin to trust and they start saying, you know what, God's going to be in control of my life, suddenly they release the control that they thought they had in their own life. They give it to God and everything changes. Because trust changes everything. James Lawless said this, he said, stewardship is more than the management of things. It's the refusal to let things manage us let me ask you something are you controlling what's coming in from God to you that money or is that money and and what God has given you is that controlling you Is that, is that job controlling you? Is that, is that house controlling you? Is that car controlling you? What is it that's controlling you? Or is it something that you're managing and saying, this is really God's? The who has whom principle. Who's controlling that? Love that. It's not the management of things. It's the, the fact that Things aren't going to manage us. So we found that this trust test involves taking an inventory. It it entails recognizing God as our source. It entails understanding God's principles. Let me give you the fourth one this morning. The letter S on the acronym of trust. And it's this. Surrender everything to God. Surrender everything to God. You know, there's a great concept and truth that we must understand in this of surrendering everything to God. And it's this. It's here in your notes. It's very, very important. Very important to understand this concept of surrendering everything to God. It says, it's not how much we have of the world that dictates our generosity towards God, but how much God has of us. Man, that's a great truth. Sometimes we think giving is all about what I have. But it's not, giving is not about all I have. 
but it's all about what has me. You read in Philippians, you find that Paul said that about his relationship with God. He said, it's not so much that I have a hold of God as much as that God has a stronger hold on me. And I'm starting to learn in my life that he's got a really strong hold on me. And so that's what motivates me. That's what keeps me going. It's, it's the fact that I know that God has all of me. Surrendering everything to God isn't about how much of the world we have, but how much of God has us. Now, I want you to notice that this truth is not dependent on your circumstances as much as it is on your trust. Now look in Jeremiah chapter number 17 really quick. Jeremiah 17. Because there's something here that, that you got to see when it comes to trusting God. Because you'll notice that Jeremiah is talking to the same people and the circumstances that they're living through is the same for all of them. They're going through a famine right now in the book of Jeremiah. Babylon's about to come. They're, they're getting more and more powerful. They're going to come and conquer the people of Israel. And during that time, there's a lot of trials going on with all the people there in Israel, in the country of Israel. And Jeremiah is the prophet. He's the preacher that's, that's, that's preaching to them. And notice what he says, Jeremiah 17. He says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. He said, that person that's trusting in themselves, that person that is trusting in others, during times of difficulty, during times of famine in their life, they'll find that they'll always be in that famine. They won't find anything to help them. They'll be like in that parched land and in the wilderness. But then he says there in verse 7, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when he cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Circumstances are the same, results are different. What makes the difference? Who you're trusting. You begin to trust God, surrender everything to Him, you'll see it's different. It's unbelievable how many times we can, in our lives, get to that point where you think, it's just my circumstances. It's just, I got to change my circumstances. But we don't really realize it's not the circumstances that's holding us back. It's our trust. It's our trust. It's the fact that we don't want to surrender everything. We want to keep something to ourselves. And I want you to notice the last principle here in this trust test. And it's the letter T, and it stands for test God's promises. Test God's promises. Listen, we got to be willing to put God to the test. Some of us need to make a decision today, I'm going to put God to the test. I'm going to see if God really will do what he says he will do. Can I say that God's people have always had to pass the trust test? 
This isn't something that's going to be new for the 21st century. All throughout the centuries of time, God's people have always had to trust. Go back to the very beginning and you'll find they've always had to trust. If you go back to Genesis chapter 7, you'll find that Noah had to trust God. There in Genesis 7, 6, it says that Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. The whole earth was destroyed by water and a flood. And Moses was 600 years old when that happened. And at that time, right before the floods came, God said, I need you to make an ark. Moses, I need you to trust me on this. Rain has never been on the earth. The earth was uh, 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 kept by the dew every morning. Rain had not fallen from the sky in the days of, Moses, of Noah. So Noah had to really trust God. I'm building a what? What is that for? What's going to happen? And suddenly this ark is being built by Noah, and he's got to trust God. God, I'm going to do what you're commanding me to do, but God, you, you, you got to come through for me. Then you'll notice, if you read Genesis 22, that Abraham had to have a trust test in his life. God said, I want you to give me your son, your only son, whom thou lovest. Give him to me. Abraham had to make the choice that he's going to go and he's going to give Isaac to God as a sacrifice. And at the end of that test, God says, now I know. Now I know that you love me, Abraham. Man, having Abraham's legacy is pretty awesome. We look at Abraham today and we go, that's amazing. The whole Middle East, it doesn't really matter if you're a Jew or if you're Muslim. They all look at Abraham as their father. Their heritage, the man, the patriarch. Man, anybody in here would love to have that kind of legacy. But I wonder how many of us would want to go through that trust test that Abraham had to go through. How many, I wonder how many of us would be willing to give what we love most. God. Abram had it in his life. Joshua had it in his life. Joshua's going into the promised land and God says, I want you to go through uh, the Jordan River and the, the waters are going to part. Just get the Ark of the Covenant to go first and the waters are going to part. And Joshua's got to go before the people and say, hey, uh, this is going to happen. Now before you say, well, they had just gone through the Red Sea had parted. Just remember, it wasn't this generation. The Bible says that everyone that was 20 years and older died in the wilderness. The last time that waters had parted that way was 40 years at least before. And they had to trust and say, yeah, God's going to do it again. And then I want to give you the last one, and that's David. David going to face Goliath. <laughs> who nobody wanted to face. Every day Goliath was coming to challenge somebody. Nobody's answering that except David. That trust test was a big trust test for David. And it's amazing that David going into that trial there said, listen, you're going to come with me to me with, 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 with swords and staves. He said, but I, I come to you in the name of the Lord. He said, I'm coming to you because I trust that God will do what he said he will do. And he passed the test. Don't think you're the only one that's going to have a test in your life. 
Don't think you're the only one that God has asked for you to trust him. Just like he asked Noah and Abraham and Joshua and David, he's going to ask you and me today. He's going to ask, will you trust me? I wonder how you and I will answer that. I wonder what your legacy is going to be. What's your story going to be? Will you be known as someone that passed the trust test or someone that didn't? Will you be known as one that put God to the test and say, I'm going to test to see if really what he says is true. I'm going to test his promises. Lastly, there in your notes this morning in Malachi chapter 3, God himself asked this, try me in this, test me, prove me on this, and see what I'll do. Let me just give you three promises he gives there in Malachi chapter 3. Number one, he says that we trust him and give to him. He will, number one, provide for us. Verse number 10 says, I'll provide for you. Verse number 11, he says he'll protect us. He'll protect us. And number three, in verse number 12, he says, our lives will be attractive to others. Test them. See if that's true. See if it's true in your life if God will provide for you. See if it's true in your life that God will put a hedge about you and protect you. See if it's true that God will make you more attractive to others. Just see if it's true. He said, try me in this. You see, it's all about trusting him. It really is. Someone wrote this poem, the author is unknown, but I think the truth stands out as clear as day. They wrote, trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him he is ever faithful. Trust him for his will is best. Trust him for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. I wonder this morning, will you trust him? Will you trust him in this area of giving? You make your life one that is following the principles of God's word. You're going to be one that will test him. It's real simple. The word trust. Take an inventory. Recognize God as a source. Understand his principles. Surrender everything to him. And test his promises. Man, if you can remember that acronym of trust. It'll change everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word and and Father, just this so important truth of trusting you. Oh, so many times in our life, Father, we, we can trust others for some reason so much either, easier than you. We can get so excited about so many other things other than you. Oh, but Father, this morning we want to trust you. We want to make our life all about you. So, Father, I pray that this morning as we do our very best to apply the truth of your word into our hearts and into our lives, help us to remember these truths, but help us to live them out. Because we know everything will change when we do. 
Father, I pray that you'd work even this morning. Work in the hearts of your people. Work in our hearts this morning. And draw us close to you. And help us to trust you as we are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.